afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to live from your true self through all of life's twists and turns. And you'll be challenged to lean into the mysteries of life to find your own deepest wisdom. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Today we're talking about the mythology of the battle of good over evil. Because, you know, we have lived for centuries now trying to win the battle of good over evil. But as we can see, as we look around the world, all the same kinds of atrocities that were happening centuries ago are still happening. In fact, we might say that there are worse travesties since we have developed nuclear weapons and greater technology. Are we just losing the battle? Or is it possible that we're fighting the wrong fight? If there's any, uh, is there any possibility that fighting the so-called good fight is not the right path? Is it possible that there's something more true, more healing, than that grand battle between good and evil? Today we're going to answer that question and pose another theory for living that might offer not only greater truth, but greater peace. Stay here for it. So let's talk about this battle of good over evil. We've been, we've been engaged in it since the beginning of time, supposedly. Uh, uh, I don't know if there were other civilizations prior to the ones that, we, that I know about that are historical, um, who, who did not necessarily believe in good and evil. But as far as I understand civilization, as far back as it's gone, we, uh, we, we, we had some knowledge that there was a potential for evil and a potential for good. And uh, so we tried to live into the good and tried to overcome the evil. And uh, we defined good in various ways. I mean, you can go to different cultures and define good in various ways. For example, Osama bin Laden thought it was a good thing to blow up the trade towers, um, fly planes into the train towers. And uh, we didn't think that. We didn't agree. We thought that was a very bad thing. And even some would have called it an evil thing. So what's good and what's evil is up for grabs based on the culture you're in and the enemies you have and uh, your associations, your own associations with both those two various principles of good and evil. So we can't really define good and evil in any kind of standardized way because there's no one standard for the whole globe for these two words and so when we talk about good and evil we're talking about it from a cultural perspective and that's all we have Um, and so there's that too and it's also true that from family to family some things are considered to be good in one family that are not considered to be good in another family some things may be considered to be bad in one family that are considered to be good in another family so it just depends on the, the culture, the larger culture, and the smaller culture in which you uh, find yourself. So it's important to understand that because when we try to be good at all costs, we, we end up sacrificing parts of ourselves. We, we end up putting, throwing into the unconscious a lot of things that could be useful to us if we paid attention to it. And I talk about this a lot in my latest book, uh, uh, Letting Go of Good. Uh, and so if you want to read about that, you certainly can. But I, but, I, um, but I want today to just basically talk about this whole thing and why it's not working. I think it's not working because we're trying so hard 
to divide good and evil. We're, you know, uh, when the more we can talk about evil, the more it is possible for children, even young children, to identify with it. And what I mean when I say identify, I mean that uh, I can put my I am on it. I can say I am that. So if I was wearing a sign that said Andrea Matthews radio host, uh, then you would know that that's how I identify at that moment. Uh, If I say Andrea Matthews evil person, that's how I'm identifying at that moment. Or if I say Andrea Matthews very good person, that's how I'm identifying at that moment. But we can grab hold of long-term identities that really change how we uh, the the trajectory of our lives to the point that we become or we seem to become that with which we identify. So if I identify as a good person, I'm likely to try very hard to be good and in my definition of good, and I'm likely to um, uh, maybe even sacrifice because sacrifice is considered by many, many people to be the ultimate in goodness. Um, And I might uh, give up parts of myself to make sure that other people are happy because that's a good unselfless thing to do. That's another word that is considered by some populations to be a very good word, selflessness. Um, And I might might end up, you know, disempowering my own intuition and my own discernment because I'm trying so hard to be good that that's all there is for me. I make all of my decisions out of my effort to be good, not out of my intuition, not out of my discernment. And so, in that sense, I'm, I, I've got a good guy identity. Uh, there are other names for this identity. I've, I used to call it the scapegoat slash priest because this is a person who believes that they have to sacrifice for other people in order to be worthy. So, for this person, worthiness is all tied up in, uh, in their efforts toward life so they are striving ever to be or feel worthy and uh so it's hard for us to to get beyond that it's hard for that person to get beyond that because they don't uh they perceive themselves as striving always to be good by the time i see these people in therapy very often they're exhausted they don't know what to do they've built up years of resentment because nobody seems to care about them the way they care about other people um, they are they are what everybody would call a very giving, very selfless person, and yet they're filled with resentment, and they don't like that, so they want me to make the resentment go away. And what I'm more likely to do, however, is uh, assist them in seeing that that resentment is one of their best friends, because actually that resentment has come to tell them that they are doing a lot of things that are not authentic. They're doing it to feel worthy. They're doing it because it's a good thing to do. They're doing it to prove that they're good people. They're good doing it because they've been told that this thing that they're doing is good. But they're not doing it because they really want to do it. They're not doing it because their compassion causes them to do it by that sort of initiation that compassion can give us. And uh, so they're doing it, but they're not doing it for the, for the reasons that are authentic. In the same way, a child can identify with evil. Or badness. If a child, for example, grows up in a hyper-religious home where every little uh, uh, misdeed is considered to be evil or bad, then that child might identify with that badness because that's the only identity he's been allowed to have in that home. And he might uh, 
you might uh, feel that this is the way he can be seen. At least this way I'm seen. At least this way I really do exist in the eyes and minds of other people, which when you're young and looking for mirrors in the faces of other people matter a lot. So if, you, if I look at your face and you see me as an evil person, then I might be saying, oh, okay, that's who I am. And I might have to be more and more bad just to prove that I still exist. In the same way that a good person, the person who's identified with goodness might need to do more and more good to prove that she exists or he exists. So uh, in, that, in that sense, then, what we're doing is trying to prove our existence by living into an identity. And even though the identity may be a mask and costume that we've worn for a very long time, it isn't who we actually are. We have yet to discover who that is. And so I often hear people say, I don't even know who I am anymore because the old identity has worn thin and it's just not working as much anymore. And so now they're ready to consider the possibility that there's something else, something bigger. So, uh, you know, so that whole idea of identifying these two things is a risk we take by polarizing good and evil. When we polarize good and evil, we're taking a big risk that children can identify with one pole or the other pole. And we can blame that on genes, we can blame that on upbringing, but as long as those two concepts are out there and polarized, they have an impact on how a child sees him or herself. Especially when you got parents going around saying, be good, don't be bad, uh, things like that. So, uh, you know, I think that nowadays we have more more parents who are trying to be mirrors for their children so the children can look in the face of the adult and see who they authentically are instead of um, uh, having to don a mask and costume just to be seen. Uh, but, uh, but that doesn't mean we still aren't trying to fight this on a greater global level, this whole idea of good over evil. I remember when uh, President Bush called uh, three or four countries an axis of evil. And so what he did was set them up as the enemy. They are the enemy. They are the bad people. We're the good people. And that kind of thing happens very often in not only politics, but in religion and in uh, social interactions with people. It happens quite often where there becomes a we-they dichotomy. It's we're the good guys and they're the bad guys and we have to watch out for them because they will infiltrate us and make us bad guys and we don't want to be bad guys so let's make sure they're over there far away from us that happens on the racial level as well where some races are considered to be evil black and brown people all across the world have been considered to be evil and right now we see a lot of asian people considered to be evil we saw the great slaughter the great genocide in america where uh of, of the uh, the american native because they were just living here, doing their own thing, and yet they were considered to be savages who were not Christian, and therefore they should be wiped out. And that that was the battle of good over evil, supposedly, right? We look back at that and we say, well, you know, now we can look at that from a more uh, objective eye and see that, oh, that was genocide. That wasn't good over evil. That was that was genocide. And so uh, when we call it for what it is, it ceases to become good or evil. It is just what we did. It's just our history. And, of course, people can look at genocide and say, that's evil, too. 
And certainly it is very painful and very awful, but I'm not sure it should carry the title evil as much as it should carry the titles as something we don't want to repeat. So here's another thing that happens in the psychology of people that we need to understand, and that is that when we square off against something and make it taboo, it's all the more interesting to us. That's why we have these great followers of serial killers. They're fascinating to us because they are evil and they, they, they bring that polarization to life. It's no longer plastic and empty. It's now got a life and it looks like that serial killer. And we can be very fascinated with that because it's taboo. If it wasn't so taboo, the fascination would not be there. So, uh, you know, that's another thing that we do in our psychology is when we, when we square off against some part of ourselves even and throw it into the unconscious, then it can become addiction because it's, it, there's a part of us that wants to live into that part we've denied. But if we can accept that part as part of our unconscious shadow material and, and re- bring it into the conscious awareness and utilize its energy in some kind of way, and I don't mean in a way that kills other people or harms other people or does something that we would call evil, but rather puts it to use in our, in our minds. So, for example, this is a, a very easy example to see. Uh, jealousy or envy is one of those things that we want to push into the unconscious because we just don't want to believe we're that kind of person. We just don't want to believe that we could be jealous or envious of someone. So we push that into the unconscious and, and we tell ourselves, I'm not jealous and I'm not, I'm not envious. I'm a good person. I don't think like that. That's kind of what we're thinking. And, uh, but what happens is it keeps popping up at various times when we don't want it to. And that's what happens when we throw something in the unconscious. It gains new energy because it's told to stay shut behind a door. And it gains new energy because it wants to be a part of the plan, wants to be a part of your life. And so it, it comes out in these various ways that don't look very pretty. And then people can see the envy and see the jealousy. Whereas if, on the other hand, we admit to ourselves that we have jealousy or envy and we can say uh, that's a part of my psychology right now, we might be able to explore that for what it is telling us. So, for example... Many years ago, before I authored any books, every time I read about a new author publishing a book, I was envious. But then I started publishing books of my own, and the envy went away. Not because I'm a great author, but because I was now using that energy. That envy told me that this is something I really wanted. I really wanted to write books. And then I started writing books, and the envy went away because I used its energy. So instead of calling my envy evil and shutting it into the unconscious so that I would still be able to see my person self as a good person, I utilized the energy, and it's been very helpful to me. So that's what we need to be able to do is take what's in our shadows and put it into our conscious awareness so that we can discover what it's trying to tell us. But when we just call it evil, it doesn't have that capacity. And that's the same thing, it's the same thing that's true on a more collective level, that when we call another country evil and just say they're bad people, like this is what's been happening most recently with China uh, and with Asian countries, where they're bad people, you know, we're we're good people, they're bad people. And that got started with the lie that that the virus, the COVID-19 virus came from China and that perhaps even that they deliberately 
sent it over here to us. And the, that falsehood has promulgated a lot of racial injustice against Asian people uh, based on the myth that they were, they're evil and deserve to die or deserve to be punished or deserve to be uh, abused or assaulted. So, um, so those kind of things mean that we're not, we're not winning the battle. We're becoming the very polarization we're fighting against in order for us to hate Asian people, for example, or, or black people or brown people or native Americans. We, we have to, uh, uh, tell ourselves that it's right for us to hate them. So what we're doing is we're promoting uh, what most people would call an evil action in order to retain our goodness. Now you figure that out. <laughs> That's a twisted psychology, right? But it is part of our psychology. When we try to tell ourselves those people are bad and I'm good, that's what happens. We, we square off against those bad people and we might assault them or abuse them or even kill them. And say to ourselves, well, that was just because they deserve to die because they're bad people. So that's how that is not working. That's why the mythology of the battle of good over evil is not working. It isn't working. We've been doing this for millions of years. And it so far has not had one iota of success. We have not been able to succeed in making the world a better world by squaring off against evil. It isn't working, can't you tell? So maybe we need a new plan. Maybe we need a plan that's not about good and evil, but rather about uh, collective uh, uh, reaching out and, and opening ourselves up to uh, other people and understanding them. Uh, I remember the movie a long time ago, Dead Man Walking where uh, one of the things that happened was the nun that was working there, uh, working in the prison, who was talking to the, to the man who'd been, who was on death row. She got to know him. She got to know him, and it changed her heart about him. And it changed his heart because she was willing to know him. And that's one of the, I think, perhaps one of the primary themes of that movie. Of course, I didn't write it, so I don't know that for sure, but that's what I got out of it. And so, you know, what that shows us is if we get to know people, we might change ourselves and even transform other people. And we're going to talk some more about this right after the break. Stay tuned for more. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron, author, publisher, and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness, and humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. Want to learn how to remember your future? Introducing a brand new listening experience. 
The Whole in One, life stories of love, wisdom, and truth with your host and guide, Sheila E. Herein from Ireland. Join Sheila on this amazing journey of discovery as she interviews a menagerie of specially selected guests to help you to change the narrative of your life. It only takes one day to change your life. Tune in to Whole and One with Sheila Ihirai every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific time on your Voice America Empowerment Channel and learn how to tell yourself that different story. Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about the mythology of the battle of good over evil. But before we go any further with that, I want to tell you about uh, Oprah's new Super Soul Sunday on Discovery Plus. It used to be on OWN, but now it's on Discovery Plus, so you can stream it anytime. Uh, And the show we're talking about today is the interview that uh, she had with Juliana Margulies, who is an award-winning actress. And she joined Oprah to discuss her new memoir, Sunshine Girl, An Unexpected Life. She says, shares candid reflections on her unconventional childhood, her marriage, and the most memorable moments from her career. That show aired on May the 1st, but you can stream it at any time. And it, it was a Super Soul Sunday, uh, Super Soul podcast on May the 5th. But again, you can hear that on, on the podcasts for Super Soul. So listen to this short um, segment of that show. I think that a book is such a sacred thing when you release your story into the world and the story of your family and how you came to be. Why did you want to do that? It's a great question. At this time, yeah. It didn't start out that way at all. Um, This book has had many iterations and it was originally called A Left Instead of a Right, which was, um, it was sort of going to be more of an idea that I had about how my career always took left turns instead of right turns because it was something my grandfather always used to say, you never know if you make a left instead of a right, you don't know how your day is going to turn out. You might meet the man you're going to marry. And I always felt that my career had done that. For example, ER. I got ER as a guest star on the pilot and then I died. And that was the end of that. And then all of a sudden, my character lived. And, and that was such an incredible launching point for my career. So I always seem to go in the back door. Okay, so that's a little piece that you can go to. Again, go to Discovery Plus, and you can listen to have that streamed at any point. Um, All right, so today, as we said, we were talking about the mythology of the battle of good over evil. And um, what we've said thus far is that we're not winning that battle. 
It's been going on for century after century after century, and we are not winning it. We're not even close to winning it. Uh, and some would even say we're losing it. Uh, and some, some people hold the power of the devil as being bigger than the power of the God that's uh, and in, in some religions. And um, so we, we, we just, we're just not winning it. It's not happening. And so we need to think of another way of living that might offer us some greater truth and maybe even some greater peace. So what we said just before the break was, I was reminding you of, of the movie Dead Man Walking, which was back in the 90s, I believe, uh, but worth seeing. Uh, and the character who was the man on death row had transformed during that movie, and the woman that was working with him transformed as well because she, she and he got to know each other. And um, there was a lot of compassion and a lot of mercy that was there. And that is one of the things that I think really helps. It's really hard to be biased against black people, for example, when you know some black people very well. It's hard to be biased against gay people when you know some gay people very well. It's hard to be biased against trans people when you know some trans people very well. And I could go on and on with Asian people and Native American people and brown people, uh, people from all over the world. But it's uh, th- so the truth is that we can't, if we get to know these people, if we open ourselves to the possibility, A, that they are people, and not just objects of our hate, but also people with emotions and thoughts and energies that are just like ours, then we connect with them on a soul level. And then it's hard to be biased anymore. And so that's a way to get beyond the battle of good over evil. It's, it's just one way, but it's a way on the collective level, for us to get beyond the battle of good over evil and start living into an awareness that all uh, the, only, the only people who populate this planet are people. The only humans who populate this planet are humans. And therefore, they all experience the same kind of fears, the same kind of joys, the same kind of passions, the same kind of hopes, the same kind of dreams. We're all the same. And for us to say, you're not a part of me, you must be evil because your, your skin is a different color than mine, or your sexual orientation is different from mine, or your gender experience is different than mine, then I, you know, I'm missing out on a rich opportunity to grow my life and to grow the other people's lives. So, so that's one of the things we need to know. The other thing is that, uh, and we've also said that the, in the psychology of good over evil, there's an idea that we can identify with one or the other polarization. And we don't want to do that because it, it means our life becomes plastic and much more empty and less, we're less able to absorb the real meaning of life. And so let's look at this whole thing about good and evil. And, and, and one of the paradigms that is particularly popular in the Western world is this uh, thing about what happened in the Garden of Eden at the beginning of time, supposedly, depending on which uh, Christian religion or expert that you're listening to. Uh, that could have been 6,000 years ago. Some people say the earth was uh, only formed 6,000 years ago and it was formed in six days and and, and those were literal days. And some people say that's you know not really true, but there's been a, an ancient, ancient creation that has evolved over time. But whichever, for whatever you believe, the idea is that 
that is where it supposedly started that there was a battle between good and evil. And so let's look at that mythology for just a minute and, and, and see the spiritual meanings behind that. So first of all, we have Adam and Eve. And Adam is uh, a, an example, a metaphor for the masculine archetype. And Eve is a metaphor for the, for the feminine archetype. So what do I mean by masculine and feminine archetypes? I mean that the masculine ar- archetype is more identified with the external world, what's happening out here. Now, this is not talking about men. I'm not talking about men. This is not about gender. It's about archetypes. And everybody has both a masculine and a feminine archetype in their own psychology. So this is not about gender. I want to make that really clear. But what is true is that the masculine archetype tends to, want, tends to explore the external world and manifest into the external world. And the feminine archetype wants to explore the inner world and manifest in the inner world and transform the inner world. So... Uh, the, so the energy there is what works best when in a healthy, um, united, uh, masculine and feminine archetype. We, what we have is the masculine goes, listens to the information found in the internal world and then takes that out into the external world and manifests it. So both work together in harmony. But what, what happened in the beginning was that uh, there was a a split between the masculine and the feminine archetypes. And uh, so, therefore, it became possible for the, the female archetype, the feminine archetype, to go off and, and eat this supposed apple from this supposed tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, I think the tree of knowledge of good and evil was a metaphor also. And when you look at the root language of the Bible there, what you find, or the Old Testament, or the uh, Jewish Tanakh there, you find, what you find is that... Uh, the wood, the tree is is etz, which just generally means wood, and uh, the good and evil that it is talking about is not moral good and moral evil, but rather uh, mercy or suffer or, or suffering. It's the good things that happen in life, like uh, having a baby or getting married, whereas the evil is considered to be the bad things that happen in life, like illness and death and poverty and those kind of things. So it's not the distinction between moral good and evil, but the distinction between the good things that happen in our lives and the bad things that happen in our lives. And that can be found in the root language. And also the word knowledge there doesn't necessarily mean that we, um, that we already know something. It means that we come to discover ourselves through the experience of this good things that happen in life and bad things that happen in life. So what this tree of knowledge of good and evil was meant to do was to introduce us to a pathway to getting back to ourselves, to finding out who we are. And, and so we, we do that through suffering and through, through the kind things that happen, the good things that happen in our lives. So, uh, so that changes the paradigm entirely from one where Eve did something evil by eating of that tree to that's an inner or exploration that needs to happen for all of us. She's, she represents the inner world, remember? She's the feminine archetype. And so she's basically saying, I want to explore the possibilities inherent 
in a life that can suffer and a life that can have good things. So I want to understand that. I want to have that experience. And you'll find people today of the New Age Human Potential Movement who will say, we choose our lives. We choose our cho- uh, where we, how we come into life. And if that's true, then it could also be true that Eve is choosing to experience life here on planet Earth where there can be suffering or there can be joy. And that experience is going to help her know herself. She's going to come to know herself in that way. And so what, ha- what, what then is the process is this, we came here united. We were a part of the divine. We were constituent to the divine. And the divine took his, that constituency and planted it here on planet Earth and, and said, go now and you know, manifest your experience on planet Earth. And we, we began to misunderstand that. It's like, uh, you know, you, you, you sort of take the life out of the oneness there. You took, it, we, we were one with the divine, but when we got here in the flesh, we thought that we were not one with the divine anymore. And the, so the journey is to come back to awareness that we are one with the divine by experiencing both joy and suffering. And uh, so that's a whole different paradigm than the one that's been passed down to us for century after century after century. But I can find that and have found that in some of my books, uh, uh, Inhabiting Heaven Now is one, and another one that I'm writing now that is uh, all about that whole idea that um, we got this whole thing wrong. Why did we get it wrong? Well, we got it wrong because we believe in good and evil. Because we, it's, it started off with us thinking that the higher power, the divine, the God, whatever you call that, is good, ultimate goodness, perfection even. And since we are not spirit, we must not be good. We're in the flesh. And the flesh was considered to be evil because it was, uh, it was supposed to tempt us supposed to tempt us to do immoral things and so that whole mythology is in fact a myth and we we've totally misunderstood it over the centuries and so we've been teaching our children this mythology that eve sinned and and because she did she changed the whole human race so now everybody is born into original sin and and since everybody's born into original sin they have to work hard or pray hard or meditate hard in order to get past the sinfulness and onto something more holy. And so we've got people striving and striving and striving after goodness, uh, trying to prove themselves worthy because we believe on a basic level that we started off as unworthy. When in fact, what I believe is that just the opposite is true. We came here absolutely aware of our worthiness and we lost that through contact with our families. We lost that because we we had to identify with something other than who we are in order to survive in our families of origin. Um, if, if a child grows up in a home where she is abused, either emotionally, physically, sexually, uh, verbally, mentally abused, then she's going to have to identify with something other than her authentic self in order to be safe in that home. She's going to have to fit into that culture in some kind of way that's going to keep her alive because survival is essential to our well-being. So she's going to do that. 
and she'll, in the process, become hypnotized, so to speak, to that identity so that it becomes who she thinks she is. And so if she thinks she's bad, well, she's just bad. I've had people come into my office and say, I'm the black sheep in my family. I've always done bad things. And as we go through the work together, we begin to understand that that's probably not even true. But it's a myth that I've carried with me all my life and thought that it was absolutely true. And that's what the people say when they finally become aware of it. I thought this was true all my life. And now it turns out that maybe I'm not such a bad guy after all. I used to work uh, in, in situations where we were very much involved with prisoners and, um, and people who'd just gotten out of prison. And they would sometimes tell me, I'm really a bad dude. You need to stay away from me, Ms. Matthews. You need to stay away from me. But those same people would do very kind things for their cellmates. Or they would, you know, try to help the cellmate get back together with a family member that they'd been alienated from. Uh, so, you know, they had a heart that cared about certain things, only they believed they were bad, so they acted bad. And that's what's been happening with uh, this whole mythology of good over evil. We believe that there is a battle intrinsic to our very natures of, of between goodness and evil. And so we acted out because we believe it so much. So... You know, it's not doing us any good to keep believing this. It's not helping us to keep believing this. What would help us more is to be able to unite the various aspects of our own psychology so that we can be able to use all the energy in our psychology for our well-being and perhaps even for the well-being of other people. Uh, And we can do that on an individual basis and we can do that on a collective basis where we begin to understand that we can reach out to people of other races and other otherness of all type. Uh, you know, that, that, that thing of otherness is a big deal, and we'll talk about that some more after the break, but uh, that it means that you're different from me, and therefore you're probably evil. You're probably bad in some kind of way because you're different. And that difference is scary to me, so I'm going to label it bad, just like a child labels the, in the imaginary monster in the closet is bad because it's scary. And so, you know, what we, what we can do with that is begin to shift that consciousness to more awareness. Awareness is the key to moving past the battle of good over evil and into something more enlightening, more greater truth and maybe greater peace. Okay, so we're going to talk some more about this right after the break. Stay tuned for more. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Do you have executive function challenges? Actually, these are a lot more common than you would think. These challenges include time management issues, organization, planning, focusing, memory, and problem solving. If this sounds like you, you'll want to check out Focus on Success. With Fazia Costi, you'll hear from professionals that offer advice based on their expertise and provide solutions to improve your life. Focus on Success can be heard Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on Voice America Empowerment. Now or never means so much more today. 
following and continuing these life-changing years faces us with a variety of choices. Are you going to move forward or are you staying put? Is it time to heal? The answers can be found on Now or Never, The Choice is Yours with host Karen Wright. Karen shares her stories along with those of her amazing guests who have found healing and enlightenment while moving along their life paths. Tune in every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Do you feel that you want more from your life but keep finding yourself in the same spot? It is time to break free from self-defeating patterns and limiting beliefs. Find out more by tuning into Let's Talk About It with nationally recognized psychotherapist, Dr. Jamie Lacey. Learn to create healthy lifestyle choices so that you can be the best you. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about the mythology of the battle of good over evil. We said in the first segment that the psychology of uh, this battle of good over evil means that we have to square off against aspects of ourselves that we label evil or bad, and we push them into the unconscious, and we think that that means they've gone away. But actually, that energy that's pushed into the unconscious continues to try to express, and sometimes it comes out in some ways that are ugly. Sometimes it comes out through rage or uh, addiction problems or, uh, you know, just through passive-aggressive comments to other people or things like that, that it's just not uh, gone away. It proves itself to not be gone away because it still comes out. And then when it comes out, we have to deny it and stuff it back in there again because we don't. we just don't want to believe that we've got that part of us. So when people identify with being very good, they end up, I've seen people who identify being very good end up in some really bad relationships, um, abusive relationships, because they're constantly thinking it's a good thing to forgive and give somebody a second chance. So they keep giving second chances, and some of them end up dead because they've been abused so badly. And that's because they keep on saying to themselves, I can't. I can't confront, I can't leave, I can't, and sometimes by the time they think it, they can't leave, it's really unsafe to leave. And uh, so they get trapped. And, um, but it's, it's oftentimes starts with this idea that I have to be a good person and be forgiving and kind and loving. And they don't even know that that's in there, but it's running their program, it's running their lives. And um, so, again, I write about that in my book, Letting Go of Good, if you want to know more about that. But uh, that's just one of the ways we identify with good, but we can also identify with evil because it's out there. If we didn't have a conscious uh, awareness, uh, or not even awareness, a conscious label of good, goodness and badness, uh, which those, as, as we said in the beginning, those cannot be defined in any standardized term that's global because it's different for different cultures and different for different families. But if we say, this is how I'm going to be a good person, or this is how I'm going to, or... 
I must be a bad person because that's what my father and my mother showed me that I was, then I'm going to act out badness. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it over and over again so I can prove that I'm alive because that's what an identity does for us. It proves to us that we're alive. And so if I, if I stopped being bad, then would I still be alive? Would I survive that? That's what makes it very difficult. That's why we have some really difficult problems with recidivism. Not only that, but of course our jail system needs a great, um, a lot of uh, change and transformation. Um, so, uh, and we said that the psychology in the collective is we develop a we-they dichotomy. They're bad people because they have darker skin or because they're gay or because they're trans or because they're Asian or because there's something else that scares me. So they're just bad people. And then what do we do? We commit bad acts against them. We assault them. We uh, verbally abuse them. We emotionally abuse them. We treat them badly. So now who's the bad person? Right. So you see what I'm saying is that, that it, uh, we get this thing all, the psychology of this thing really messes with us in some real uh, effective ways. It has, it has the power to affect uh, difficult uh, behavior in our in our lives. So um, more true is the possibility of connection and oneness. So the first thing that happened in this process, we've gone over the whole story of the, of the Garden of Eden, how that worked out. But the first thing in this understanding that we were different from oneness was found in this whole concept of otherness. So God was an other. The divine was an other. He, she, or it was something different from us. And we could not see ourselves as good because we knew. We looked around and saw that we did some not-so-good things. So we said to ourselves, we are evil because we are not one with the divine. And so we believed that, and we perpetuated that, and we promoted that, and we pushed it, and we taught our children that, and we've been perpetuating that same mythology for centuries now. And so it started off with otherness. God is an other. The divine is an other. He, she, or it is not the same as us. We are different from that. And so one of us is good, and the other one is bad. And it must be the divine that's good because that is what created the world and look how nature, how beautiful nature is. On the other hand, um, we, we also do that same thing to other people. If so, we, we see people who are not us as an other. They're, they're an other. They have otherness. They're not somebody who's like us, who we can understand and relate to. They're different from us. And so we seek out people that are similar to us so that we can relate to them instead of seeking out people who are different from us so that we can discover ourselves. And that's the difference between the battle of good and evil and the idea of oneness. Um, Because in oneness, certainly I'm not saying we shouldn't have some people that can, we can relate to that are the same as we are in very similar ways, similar philosophies, similar values. And certainly primary relationships have difficulties when uh, the values are extremely different. Uh, so that gets into the whole battle of good and evil too, but uh, these are difficult things to, 
to work through. So we do need some people who are um, like us. But that doesn't mean we have to exclude the people who are not like us. And that exclusion is the problem because it's all about this battle of good over evil. And so we look at difference as, as otherness. You're different from me, therefore there's something wrong with you. And I even suspect it smells like evil. So therefore, I'm not going to hang out with you. I'm not going to be around you. I'm going to segment you off. I'm going to marginalize you. I'm going to make sure you live in poverty. That's how racism becomes systemic is because so many people believe it that it, uh, that it becomes a part of the system's thinking. And one example I ran into not long ago was a neighborhood that was, uh, you know, largely white. Largely white people lived there. It was slowly transformed into a neighborhood that was more, there were more black people living there. And suddenly the prices of all the houses went down for no other reason than that estimation. There was nothing any different about the houses. There was nothing any different about the value of the property. It just, every all the value went down because, oh, there were a bunch of black people living here. That is systemic racism. Um, there are many more examples of that, that that run through our psychology and our economy that we don't even know about because we haven't thought about it. And since George Floyd, one of the things that happened by that very dark and and horrible thing that happened to George Floyd and that many people would say was evil is it's offering all of us an opportunity to wake up, become part of the woke generation where we can see systemic uh, racism when it's there. We can see our own racism and will, are willing to look at and work on that. We can see how we split ourselves off between good and evil and say, this is, uh, I'm, I'm good because and I'm bad because um, and that is one of the biggest things we have to surmount in healing our own psychology is this battle between good and evil, where we consider some parts of ourselves bad and some parts of ourselves good. And, and, and we, like I said earlier, we put that into the unconscious and try really hard to put it away, or we identify with it. And either way, we're not living into our authentic selves. And authentic living is all about uh, finding out who I am through this process of discovery that's called life, where I experience both joy and suffering, and bo- each one of those has something to teach me about who I am, and then eventually I come to understand myself as oneness. So we saw this happen in during Obama's term in office, uh, where he uh, was, you know, they hung him in effigy, and they, uh, there was a lot of people that were just saying they did not like him. And when we asked or tried to discover what that was about, it was because he was black. And that became a whole system in itself. We saw that happen, even though he was very popular and did a lot of really good things. We saw people being against him simply because he was black. And we've just been through four years where, uh, and thankfully we're not in those four years anymore, but we've just been through four years where there was an increase in hate. Now, there's something in the culture that's psychologically off if you go through four years that distinctively increase the hate level. And that's been statistically uh, shown that hate increased against gays and lesbians, against, uh, uh, against trans people, uh, against 
blacks, against browns, against Asians, the hate increased against Native Americans. Uh, some of the some of the land was tried to be. They tried to take some of the land away from Native Americans, and they're still struggling to get that back. And um, so we 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 see this increase in hate. Why? Because people square off real easily against something that's different from them, and it's and it's pretty easy for a leader to come into position where he or she can say, "These people are bad." Just like Bush said, this, there's an axis, axis of evil in these countries. And these people are bad, and therefore we should go to war against them. Um, so w- when that happens, we increase hate. And hate is, uh, becomes a part of the psychology, and it seems right. Because those people are thought to be evil. So hating them must be good. And that is not helping us grow as a, as a civilization. There are many countries in this world, many different languages in this world, many different types of people in this world. Many of us struggle with all kinds of issues from health to, to relationship, to finances, to poverty, to all kinds of things we struggle with. And yet, each one of them is in their own little pocket because of hate. Because hate was promoted by this battle of good over evil. As long as we have the battle of good over evil in our mythology, we are going to promote hate at various points in our lives. We are going to not join with other people. We're not going to be a collective of oneness. We're going to be a scattered nation of of entities, individual separate entities who don't trust or like each other very much. But I've seen uh, over the past four years and increasing now uh, a lot of love. I've seen an evolution in consciousness in the American people where there's a lot of love uh, from people, a lot of empathy growing. We see a growing amount of empathy and a lot more discussion about what empathy is and isn't. We see a lot more compassion with people reaching out to other people with the, the applause given in New York City for all the nurses and, and front care workers where, who were nursing the sick with COVID, we saw, we see the nurses and the doctors and the people that are out there serving the people that are with COVID, trying to heal them. They are giving their hearts and souls to this mission. That's love. That's compassion. We see uh, uh, an increase in awareness of other people's grief because so many people have died from COVID. We see an increase in awareness where more, more people are being woke, more people are, are, are becoming more aware of, of that, that whole idea of systemic racism, the whole idea of uh, needing to be compassionate and open up to other people, needing to be inclusive uh, instead of separatist. And we also see, uh, uh, in measure, uh, not equal, but a powerful me- movement of people who are insisting that no, uh, we should continue the hate. It's keeping us safe in some kind of way. And so we see these two things arising in the country, but what's dominant right now is the compassion and the empathy and the wokeness and the oneness. Um, people are beginning to understand oneness. People are beginning to understand what it is to unite the various aspects of themselves into a whole being that's, that's congruent, where the heart, the mind, and the, whole, the soul and the spirit are all working in the same direction. 
and the body are all working in the same direction. So, um, so that's the difference between this battle of good over evil and an awareness that is about oneness. And so my hope, my prayer, is that we will become much more aware of oneness over the next four years and that we will transform our the United States and our world to, an, uh, to a, uh, a world where we understand ourselves as one, one people at all times, getting over this whole concept of the battle of good and over evil. So that's our show for today. We'll be back again next week. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week. 